It's good to see you guys this morning. I hope that you're doing well. Did y'all have a good week? Enjoy the snow? Glad it's gone, maybe. Kind of enjoyed it for a couple of days. We, we had some fun in it. My oldest kid, he loved it. My two youngest ones, they'd get out there for about, you know, take 30 minutes to get them ready. Then they'd get out there for about two minutes and they were done with it. The rest of it was crying. So after about five more minutes of crying, you're like, I can't handle this anymore. Let's go back inside. So, uh, But it was fun. It's always pretty to see, fun to see. So anyway, uh, my name is Kyle. If you're new here, I want to say thank you for being here today. Thanks for joining us and um, thanks for worshiping the Lord with us today. Uh, more importantly, we're glad that you're here. Um, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we are going to finish up a three-week series on spiritual habits today. Um, next week, I'll preach on the identity and the mission of New Life Church Magnolia. Uh, that, that kind of forms from the mission of the church, period, but how we see it taking place here at New Life. And so I want to talk to you all about that next week. Uh, so if you're curious about this place, maybe you're visiting today or you have been visiting I certainly would like to see you back next week for that as you'll get a good picture into who we are and, and what we're about. I think you'll enjoy that. Uh, then in February, first week of February, we're going to pick up John again. So, yeah, there we go. Always a fa- at least one fan of that. So uh, I'm excited to hop back into, into John. I think it'll be fun. Um, so let me talk to you for a moment, maybe catch you up if you've missed a week or if you're new today on what we're doing with spiritual habits because uh, for a lot of us, that can give us uh, one, <laughs> this term uh, a friend, Alec, actually coined uh, over breakfast the other day was this term PESD, which is uh, post-evangelical stress disorder. And so if you've grown up in church, um, then you've encountered uh, some legalistic ways about things. And one of those things for me that I've always seen done really poorly or at least preached about really poorly uh, were spiritual habits, what they're for, what they're about, why do we do them, why do we have them, those kinds of things. So we've been just walking through those and uh, trying to help you guys out, uh, trying to help us all understand this better from God's Word. So we've looked at what those spiritual habits are. They are God's Word, the reading, the hearing of, the encountering over and over daily God's Word. The second thing we looked at was prayer. Um, the, if God is talking to us through His Word, then the natural response is we talk back to God. We not talk back like you talk back to your mama, or you wouldn't, right? Uh, but like you have a conversation with God. Uh, prayer is our way of doing that. Prayer, as we looked at, changes us far more than it changes anything else. Uh, and so that's one reason to encounter prayer. And then today I want to talk to you about just the, the fellowship of the saints. I want to dig up kind of an old word, fellowship. It, it's fallen on hard times lately. People don't like to use it. It's not as buzzy as it used to be. But the, po- the, the point I want to make to you is it's the biblical right word to use. And so I'm, I'm guilty of kind of moving away from the word fellowship, but I want to use it today because I think it's the right word for us to use. And I'll get into that today. But why spiritual habits? What's their purpose? Well, this this comes from this idea presented in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, where he talks about training yourselves for godliness. He says that physical training or bodily training is of some use, and I would argue that it's of some use, right? You can argue over how much use it's for, but I I lean more towards that it's it's of little use, right? I I don't bodily train very often. Uh, Maybe I'm alone in that. It's the first of the year, all of you made resolutions, you're doing good. I'm not. All right, I understand. So second... um, he, he says that bodily training is of some use, but spiritual training is of value in all areas of life, in the life now and also in the age to come, he says. So if spiritual training is of value now and then for forever, then certainly we must be about the business of training for godliness, of spiritual training. So again, what does that look like? How do we obtain it? Well, we obtain it, or at least we place ourselves in the way of obtaining it by placing ourselves in the way of God's grace. I believe that there's three things that God uses to pour out His grace on His people the most. That's His Word, that's prayer, and that's the fellowship of the body. All right, and so I want to talk to you about that third one this morning. Um, Last thing I want to say about training is, is that we don't train for godliness sake alone. 
This is where churches miss the mark. If you train simply to be more godly, what happens is you become a Pharisee. You become legalistic. You know all the right things. You know when to pray and how to pray out loud in front of people so that everybody looks at you and thinks, man, he's really well trained in godliness. The problem is you're not. (laughs) Part of being godly is being humble. It's walking in humility. It's walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, And so if we are to train well for godliness, then what we must first realize is that in order for us to be made godly, we must be close to God. And we get close to God through His Word, through prayer, through the fellowship of the saints. And so um, those are what we would call means of grace. They're the regular pathways that God pours His grace out on His people. So before we get into the fellowship of the saints, let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for today. Thank You for Your Word. As we open it up now, God, would You open our ears? Would You open our eyes that we... Uh, be like that blind man, Father, who, who, whom you healed. Uh, Father, help us to see clearly your word today. Help us to see clearly your will for our lives today. Help us to encounter Jesus. Uh, help us to encounter our Heavenly Father in a new way today. So that by the power of the Spirit living within us, amongst us here, now we would walk away from this place today changed forever. God, we love you. Help us to not come today to just hear the word and then to walk away forgetting. As James talks about the man who looks in the mirror and sees where he needs some fixing, and yet he walks away and forgets all about it. Lord, help us to see today who we are, where we need you, how you're there for us, and help us to walk away um, applying those things, pursuing you in those things. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So let me set up Acts 2 this way. It's the only way I know how to do it. It may take a moment, but I just ask that you bear with me. In Acts 1, Luke writes, and he's writing about Jesus' time on earth after the resurrection. So after Jesus was raised from the dead, here's what Luke says. He said, He presented Himself alive to them, to all of His disciples, and many more, after His suffering by many proofs. So he presents himself alive. He tells him, touch my hands and my feet. See the wound in my side. See that it is me. I'm alive. Amen? So there were many proofs. Uh, Namely, one of the proofs was this. He appeared to them for 40 days. So often I think we kind of think Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to everybody and then, bam, he's gone. Right? It wasn't that way. He stayed with them for 40 days. And it says that while he was with them for 40 days, he spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, they took this to mean that Jesus had returned from the dead to establish now His forever kingdom on earth and that this was going to be the end of um, history as we know it. But Jesus tells them it's not for you to know the day or the hour, to think about seasons or times. I am coming back to tell you this. And this is what He told His disciples. He says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was going to give them power in their witness. Here's what he says. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and I will make you my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's kind of a little outline for how Acts is written. Then Jesus, after that, ascends to heaven. And all the disciples, all the people gathered around, about 120 of them are left, and they're looking up into the sky, and then an angel appears to him. He's like, what are y'all doing? (laughs) He said, from the same way that Jesus just ascended, he will descend again. And and so hearing that, they're like, oh, okay. And they 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 go to Jerusalem. This crowd of 120 returns to Jerusalem for the Sabbath, where uh, or for Passover, where they devoted themselves to prayer. So they're all gathered together in this upper room in Jerusalem. They're praying. And then in Acts 2, we find them all together in this place. And here's what the narrative says. It says, Suddenly there came from heaven like a sound, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Now, to read that, I'm like, what? This is incredible. 
insane even, right? And, and this is what it says. It says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There's a lot of debate about tongues. We're not getting into that today because here's the tongue it's talking about. So after this incredible, almost unexplainable, other than God said it would happen, <laughs> that's the way we explain it. God said this was going to happen, so here it is. We didn't see how, but... Uh, or, or he didn't say how it would happen, but this is how it happened. Tongues of fire descend, land on them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other languages. But for what purpose? Well, in the very next verse, you have your answer. In, in verse 5, he says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. Lots of them, it says. It says, Devout men from every nation under heaven. So, what I kind of like to think of is a place like New York City. If you remember from U.S. history, it was called the melting pot, right? This was a place because of Ellis Island and that, that people were coming into our nation. And if you go there now and walk into a bodega, which is a little store, like a convenience store, in the middle of Manhattan and try to order a sandwich, it's like you're speaking another language. They don't understand me, right, because of... My dialect, because I'm from America, one, uh, and most of the people, in, not most of the people in New York, but many of the people in New York are not from there. It's this giant melting pot of society. It's really neat to see. It's a, it's a great cultural experience. But this is what happens. It says, devout men from every nation under heaven were gathered together in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So, these people get hit with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other languages. Apparently, they go from the room, or they're in the room. I'm not real sure on this, but they're preaching the gospel. They're telling about the works of the Lord, and all of these men are hearing in other languages. And it says they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these people who are speaking Galileans? He goes on to say, uh, they go on to say, and how is it that we hear each of, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia. I, I can act like I know how I'm to read these, but I, a lot of these I don't. Okay, So Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, yeah, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, Belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. There's a lot of different kinds of people gathered together in this place. I, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. I love the confirmation. Yes. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others began mocking them. I think this is hilarious. Saying to them, they must be filled with new wine. So a lot of people standing by are like, hold on a minute. We've never seen anything like it. There must be a new wine out there that has got these people acting foolish. And then what we have is incredible. So these 120 have come out of this room. They begin to preach the gospel just opening their mouth, and the Lord has granted to them the ability to speak languages that they didn't know beforehand so that everyone around them can hear the gospel for the very first time. And people ask, are they drunk? To which Peter, God bless him, he stands up and he speaks to everyone gathered around. He says, listen, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. He's like, give them time. It may happen, but it's not right now, right? That's what he's saying. Um, then Peter filled himself with the Holy Spirit. Not that he filled himself, sorry. He himself, being filled with the Holy Spirit, power and boldness, preaches about Jesus. And it's one of the most incredible sermons you'll read. I invite you to read it next too, but here's what happens. He tells them that Jesus has risen. He tells them that all of us right now speaking to you are witnesses of it. The way that you know we are witnesses of it is because we are now speaking to you in your own language by a power that is not ours that Jesus promised 
the Father would give to us after He ascended into heaven. And this is the, this is the sign of that. Then He concludes with these words, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. And this is the words I have to believe pierced them down to the very core of who they are and shook them deep. He said, This Jesus whom you crucified. And in verses 37 through 41, we see their response. I love this. He says, Now when they, or Luke writes here, he says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This Jesus whom you crucified says, Now they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Like, we, we've committed a terrible act. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, it says that Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, yourselves, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then in verse 41 we read, So those who received His word, those who believed the word, were baptized, and, they were, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Just an incredible outbreak of God. <laughs> this is God establishing the church right here at the beginning of Acts. This is why we meet today in these local bodies right here. This is it. This is what took place to get us to right here. And so an incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God establishes His church. We see 3,000 souls are saved from their sins that day, and that the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ here is on full display. But, but I submit to you this, and this is where I want us to land today, that the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ was on full display, certainly. And it came about because of the preaching of the gospel, right? Says Peter preached, souls were saved. Because of God's word, God's word saves. We looked at that last week. I won't bore you again this, this week. But here's, here's what I want you to know. The preaching of the gospel isn't only about the saving of souls. That's a massive part of it, and it's the greatest part of it. It's, just, it's going from being at war with God to being at peace with God. It comes about through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that He gave His life for us. Praise God. All right, so this is huge. But it's not just about that. It's, it's certainly our first hope. It's, it's our prayers we preach. But it gets even sweeter. It, it gets even richer. It gets even better than that. First John 1, John writes there, he says, we preach this message to you, talking about the gospel message that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried and rose again. He says there that we were witnesses to this, much like what Peter was saying. But then he says this in verse 3 of 1 John 1, and I love this. He says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. So that you too may have fellowship with us. That word fellowship, when written in Greek, is the word Koinonia. Koinonia. Say it, it's fun. One, two, three. Koinonia. Right. You just spoke Greek. Congratulations. The word koinonia is the act of sharing in the activities or privileges of an intimate association or group. All right, cool, right? Here's where the word koinonia is most frequently used. It's most frequently used, don't miss this, it's most frequently used to talk about marriages, the sharing of activities in an intimate relationship, a marriage, and in churches. Incredible. 
This word fellowship is a Greek word, koinonia, used to talk about the sharing of activities in this mutual, intimate relationship. Therefore, we can say with the utmost confidence that it is anti-gospel to remain an outsider. It's anti-gospel to remain an outsider. The gospel demands that we exchange our life as an outsider for a life of koinonia, a life of fellowship. From top to bottom, as David Mathis says, the gospel creates community like no other. Like no other. I'll show you here in a moment. And I think we lead, look no further than the next few or several verses in Acts chapter 2. The establishment of the church and where that took place to see that this is true. So in verse 41, we left off. There were 3,000 souls had just been saved and baptized. Praise God. Then full of the Spirit's power from salvation, we read this in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, or in the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Oh my gosh, I love that. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. That's huge. That's unity like you don't see anywhere else. It's, it's Holy Spirit-empowered unity. It only happens through the Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen anywhere else. I promise you. Just, just look at our world today. Now, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. That's believer and unbeliever alike. They're finding favor with all the people because of this Christian community which had sprung up. Nobody had seen anything like it. They're like, that's amazing. Even unbelievers are looking at that like, I can't explain it. And then it goes on to say, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Praise God. Praise God. All right, so clearly then, here's where we need to get to. All right, the fellowship of the saints is a means of grace. It's most certainly a means of grace. It's meaning that when we join in the fellowship of the saints, we receive more of God's grace than we would as an outsider. Now, here's some marks of this fellowship. We'll just call it gospel fellowship. Because if we say fellowship, we might think, hey, let's get together and watch the Super Bowl. All right? And that's, that's certainly a form of getting together, Though here's why the word fellowship has fallen on hard times. That is not biblical fellowship. Unless you're going to break out the Bible at halftime or something and begin to talk about God. So let's look at some marks of gospel fellowship. What does it look like? Number one, it's a devotion to God's Word. It's a devotion to God's Word. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I, I, I just had to say it, okay, because it's here in the text. But we did spend a lot of time on this last week. But here's what, what you need to know. If you weren't here last week, you're like, well, I wasn't here. I need to know something. Here's what I want you to know. But we must not forget that any means of grace must be centered on God's Word. All right? if, if we're not hearing or receiving or taking part in God's Word, then it's hard for that thing to become a means of His grace. It must be Word-centered. So as we encounter God, we, we encounter His grace and we're shaped for godliness. We've established that. So for true fellowship of the saints to happen, it must be centered on God's Word. Now, here's how that happens, at least here in this church. Okay? It happens on Sunday mornings when, we, when Alan reads the Word or somebody gets up here and reads the Word, preaches the Word, teaches the Word. When I'm up here... This, this is us encountering God's Word within the fellowship together. This is, this is you devoting yourselves to the teaching. All right? As you listen to the preaching, teaching, then, then you're devoting yourself to that. 
Another way it happens is in your home groups. Your home groups are centered around God's Word. Now, you may go for the food. I go for the cheesecake. I got a man in my group that can make a cheesecake and make you slap your mama. It's good, all right? And he brings one every week. So now you know which home group you should join, all right? Now, home groups are about getting together in a more intimate setting. I I hate to use the word intimate because it sounds weird. I don't know how else to say it. And to share in the reading, the teaching, the learning, the talking about God's Word. That's what home groups are for. It's fun to eat. It's fun to hang out. It's beautiful to pray together, as we'll see in a moment. That's why we get together. We want to hear about God's Word. We want to learn about God's Word. We want to fellowship as gospel fellowship with one another. We want to pray together. That's home group. That's what we're doing. But gospel fellowship can happen at Mr. James, too, right? You get together with a buddy during the week or somebody during the week, and you say, let's go have some breakfast. Let's talk about the Word together. That's koinonia. Let's go do some koinonia at Mr. James. They got good bacon, all right? You can do koinonia anywhere. Gospel fellowship happens anywhere. Anywhere that you gather with another person and devote yourself to God's Word, you are engaging in gospel fellowship. So go and do it. You don't need me. All right? Gospel fellowship happens without Kyle being present. Shocker, right? No. You don't need me there. You can open up your word together and read it and say, what do you think that means? I don't know. Well, me either. Let's, let's read about it. Let's pray about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah, it's gospel fellowship. The second thing, another mark of gospel fellowship, is a devotion to one another. This is the sweetest part about gospel fellowship. I'm not going to lie. I, I love this, but it's got to be word-centered, not man-centered. So we don't get together just to be together. I like you guys, right? And I, I love being around you guys, but we need to get together for the sake of a few different things. So remember, we're talking about koinonia here, this gospel fellowship. So what's... What does Luke have in mind as he writes about the, fel- the devotion to fellowship? Namely, that these saints would be devoted to one another. And I think this plays itself out here in a few ways. Number one, or letter A, however you want to write that, uh, sharing in gospel transformation. If going to engage in gospel fellowship, I must first be transformed by the gospel. Otherwise, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm here. I don't understand what this is about. I don't even know how to engage in it. All right, so we need to be need to be transformed. Another thing that I have in mind here is that the saints of God would grant one another. That's you. You're a saint. This is a word we need to redeem from the Catholics. All right, this is our word first. All right, so Christianity. When you're saved, you go from sinner to saint. You're now looked at as a person of God, a child of God. You've been redeemed. All right? These saints were devoted to one another, certainly. And I think that what saints owe one another, or what we hope for, or what we should be marked by, are three things. Number, number one is gospel. Number two is safety. And number three is time. Now, I'm borrowing this wording from a pastor named Ray Ortland. He just summed it up better than I knew how, so I want to share that. I'm sharing that with you. Gospel, safety, and time. So, let me explain what I mean here. In order for us to share in gospel transformation, we must share the gospel message with others. We don't just share it, we share it knowing that that message is what holds the only power to actually transform someone's life. People generally don't get better, they get worse. People generally don't change. Some of you are like, I know I've been married for 40 years. He ain't changed yet. He's worse now than he was when we started dating. People don't transform on their own. It's, It's a hard thing to have happen. I think it's impossible. I think people transform truly when the gospel hits the center of who they are and transforms them. That's when we begin to see good works take place. That's when we begin to see the old man pass away, the new man grow. All right? So 
in doing that, if we're going to perform or take part in the transforming gospel message, number one, you must be honest about your initial transformation. Let me tell the story, guys, about how I was transformed, what the Lord saved me from, what He's done in my life, that kind of thing. But we can't do that as somebody who's arrived. You don't, you don't tell that story and say, this is the, the, you don't do it with arrogance. It's not look how far I've come, it's look what the Lord's done in me. It's got, it, and, and if any mature believer is honest, they'll say it has very little to do with me. The Lord has been so good, so gracious. So it's about gospel transformation, but we don't talk about that as a people who have arrived, which means we must be transparent and honest about our need for continual transformation. So last week, I confessed to you that I was terrible. I used a word I probably shouldn't have used. I didn't get any emails about it, so I guess it's okay. But I was terrible at, just, I was terrible at handling finances. All right, and That was something I encountered through preaching through Philippians. Got to the text that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Did you know that's about contentment and not about becoming a powerful CEO or a ball player or something like that? It's incredible. It's about being content. It's, I've been brought low, I've been high, I've learned how to do both. I've had little, I've had a lot, but in all things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I talked to you about how I've learned to do that. So what I want you to hear from me first is just an honesty of, guys, I haven't arrived. I'm not preaching to you as someone who's got all of this figured out. I'm preaching to you, hoping to encourage you, to encourage all of us, that you would encourage me back to let's keep moving forward. Let's keep making steps. Gospel transformation, it takes a while, as you'll see in a moment. The second thing we want, so we want to be honest about the message. We want to be upfront about the message, honest about the message, teach the message, preach the message, those kinds of things. The second thing is we want to Give people safety. Sorry. <laughs> Just like yourself, others will never be honest about their need of a transforming work of Jesus without feeling safe. Right? You need to come into a group or in a body where you feel like... What I want you to do when you walk through those doors is exhale. I don't want you to tense up. I don't want you to, to pucker up. I don't want any of those things to happen. I want you to exhale when you walk into this place knowing that you're among family. Knowing that I'm in the safest place that exists in Magnolia, Arkansas, outside of maybe your home. I hope your home's safe. That's what I want you to feel when you walk in this place. Safety. Because, let's be honest, it's unnatural for us to feel safe sharing the worst about us with others. We're just not going to feel safe doing that because it's hard to trust people. But a people who call themselves saved must be a safe place for the lost and the broken alike. This better be a safe place. This better be a safe place. And let me tell you, I'm committed. I and the elders with me and the other leaders here, we are committed to keeping this a safe place. Amen? For your protection, for your good, for your growth, for your flourishing. We're not good otherwise. We're terrible, in fact. The third thing I want you to see or to, to get from the sharing gospel transformation, as I mentioned earlier, was time. It takes time to transform. If I've learned anything in my short existence, it's one thing I've learned is about sanctification. I am not as good of a Christian right now at the age of 31 as I thought I would be when I was 18. Right? At 18, I thought, man, by the time I'm 31, Billy Graham, I'm coming for you, sucker. Yeah, I'm I just not. Right? I'm just not. I need the Lord every day. I'm terrible every day. I'm good at times, but I need Christ. I need His transforming power to be at work in me constantly. My kids frustrated me like no other this week. Being cooped up in that house on some of them days was just like, oh my gosh, I can't take it. And so I'm sure, and I've tried to apologize for all of it, but I'm sure i got more I need to apologize for to my kids in the way that I've been acting. 
to my wife. Right? I mean, if we're all honest, we all need Christ to transform us every single day. We need that. So, it takes time. We don't all get the Saul of Tarsus experience where we're riding along on a donkey. Jesus appears and knocks us off of that thing, blinds us for a few days, gives us a brand new name, and then makes us the greatest missionary that the world has ever known. We're not all getting that calling. But even Paul is the one who wrote that it's a day-by-day transforming work of Christ that we need. That sanctification is a lifelong process. That it's a process of being transformed from one degree of glory to the next until one day we're with Christ forever glorified. People need time. I think churches miss the mark most when they don't give people time. We expect often, Christians expect often, everybody to change at the same times, right? Like, oh, it took me a week to get over that sin. It should take you a week or less. (laughs) No, it's just not the case. All our struggles are different. Everything's different. We need time. You need the gospel. You need the truth. You need safety. You need time. All right, so if we do anything well at New Life Church Magnolia, it better be those three things. It better be that we share well in the gospel transforming work in all of our lives. Amen? Would you join me in those prayers? All right. Other thing we share in these next two are a lot smaller, and then we'll begin to wrap up. B, sharing in material needs. What we see from these early Christians, that text that Alan read from 2 Corinthians 8 earlier was just, was just gorgeous. It was perfect for this. We didn't even talk about that. But, but this is what we see here with these early Christians. They were willing to help one another with material needs. They, they did this by selling possessions and contributing to the church so that the church could give the money to those in need. This is the way this was working. Now, a lot of times you hear this and it sounds like communism. Right? Or socialism. It's not that. These people still had homes because it said they were meeting from home to home. Meeting from house to house. It's not that everybody sold their possessions. They all came and lived in a commune together. I think, man, that'd be awesome. Right? I'm just kidding. So, sorry. I'm just terrified all the visitors. Um, And we're doing communion later too, so Yes. Um, all it means is that their idea or their understanding of stewardship evolved. They became less concerned with gaining things for themselves and became more about getting rid of things that they didn't need so that the people in need could be cared for. And they trusted the church to do that. What a simple, beautiful model. And so here... I'll just give you an insight into this. You'll get a financial report this week, and we'll have some out next week you can grab if you don't get one this week for whatever reason. Here, we have a fund called Community Care. All right, It's just money that we set aside for this exact purpose. We just set aside money and we say, when we hear of needs in the church, let's bless people. And so I'm, I, I just fully believe that churches should not be... Now, this is not a knock on people. This is the way we operate, okay? So don't hear this as me slamming somebody. I'm not. But churches should be more about the care of people than the building of kingdoms, of their own kingdom, I should say. I'm not going to build large buildings here. We, Lord willing, will make some transformation in the coming months. All right? As He's blessed, but we're going to do that on a budget. We're going to be strict about that. We're not going to be extravagant in those things. Because I want to devote money to people. I'm going to be able to help people. I want to devote money to ministry. I want to devote money to those things because that's what the kingdom centers on. People are the currency of the kingdom, not money, not buildings, not stuff. All right, so I'm more excited. One of the stats on that sheet you'll get is that we gave away approximately $10,000 last year in community care just to random, at times, people who were in need. So I'm, I say that to you because I invite you, as these Christians in the early church would have, when you're in need, let us know. Let us help. This is why people tithe and give offerings here. 
Amen? Let us be a part of that. Let us share that burden with you. Amen? Don't be so proud that you won't ask for help when you need it. And the other thing is, is we do need to learn stewardship. And there are times where, I, this is my experience, is that most of my financial trouble came because I didn't steward my money well. I told you that last week. I always thought I needed to make more money, and then it dawned on me, thank the Lord, that I need to steward more, or to steward better what I already had. I didn't need more. I was just terrible with what I had. I think it's wrong to ask God for more when I'm not caring for what He's already given me. So, that number excites me more than anything. Let's share in those things together. That's the mark of gospel fellowship. The third thing is that we share in prayers and encouragement. What we see is that they were devoted to gathering together, devoted to fellowship, that they were devoted in that time to the breaking of bread and prayers. All right, so we're going to break bread here in a moment. But prayers became a way of encouraging one another. Prayers were the way that we shared in burdens together. Now, in the context of gospel fellowship, we build one another up through prayer and encouragement. We speak the word to people. We pray for one another. And we talked a lot about that in week one. Now, I think there are a million reasons why people need gospel fellowship. I mean, you just look over the last year at some of the stories that came out. People lost loved ones. People lost jobs. People went through difficult times in their marriage. People went through uh, different financial times people had uh, parenting issues and ongoing things and bad health I mean there's just guys we get we're overwhelmed with stuff in our own life to where we need prayer and encouragement from the saints and God says here you go here's a local body if if following the word correctly that will be that for you all right so, now that we know some of the marks, I've got one final mark, and this is more about how we obtain these things, how we grow in these things or get better in these things. It's this, that we're devoted to the gathering. A devotion to the gathering. In our text, we see that these early Christians devoted, were devoted to the fellowship. That day by day, they were attending the temple together, they were meeting in homes together, they were together and always. It's almost as if you saw one of the saints there, you would see more saints with them. They just did things together. Those words devoted and attending that you see there in Acts 2 are the same Greek word which means to persevere to the point of devotion. So the mark of these early Christians is that they persevered in meeting together regularly. They made it a regular act and they persevered in that. They made sure to keep doing that. In Hebrews 10, the writer there says this in verses 24 and 25. He says, Consider then how to stir up one another to love and good works. How? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, being devoted... To the gathering is a means of grace by which God stirs us up for love and good works. Being with the brethren. So through regular fellowship of the saints is one of God's ways of stirring us up for love and good works. It's one of the ways that He teaches us these things. He shows us these opportunities. And I argue this, that it's here, it's here in that idea of gospel fellowship that we find true friendship. A true, a lasting, a persevering friendship. Certainly with God, but, but even horizontally, a place where we're encouraged to persevere for Christ by stirring one another up for love and good works, encouraging one another in the tough days, and helping one another be watchful and diligent to do the work of the Lord that He's given us, as we await the second coming of Jesus. So it's interesting to me that the writer in Hebrews has the idea of how do we finish well in mind when he says don't neglect gathering together. He's saying if you want to finish well in life, you want to stay 
You want to keep your perseverance about you as a believer. He says, don't neglect gathering with the saints. Don't neglect the fellowship. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the last thing I want you to hear from me today is that you better get your rear in a seat on Sunday mornings. That's the last thing I want you to hear. This is not helpful. It's not my heart. Because I've been in those churches. It's anything but life-giving. It's like a leech. What I want you to know, though, today is this, is that it's about far more than coming to church. It's about more than your attendance record, which we don't keep, so <laughs> just breathe. <laughs> like, ah! Yeah, don't worry about it. You're good. I mean, I notice when y'all are missing because we're small. You need to be here. But uh, you're not sneaking in and out. It's, it's about far more than that. Now, it's not less than that. He says to gather together. He says not to neglect it as some are prone to do. So it's not less than that. It's just more than that. It's far more than that. This is about finding a place to be, where, a place to hear the Word of God, a place to learn the Word of God. It's about surrounding yourself with the people who will share in gospel transformation in your life, but also to where you can reciprocate the sharing, to where you can talk about the gospel. You can give somebody a safe place. You can give somebody some time and say, hey, I'm, I'm with you. Don't, let's not rush this. Let me encourage you to persevere. It's, it's about being around them as much as possible. On Sunday mornings, in your home groups, where there's events taking place, it's just about saying, hey, I, I want to go there because my people are there. My brothers and sisters in the Lord, which, guys, if you've got a brother or sister in the Lord, it, most of you know that, that that bond is deeper than blood family. There, there's something about a faith family that's just, it's deeper than blood. That's why Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? This is my mother. This is my brothers as he's talking to his disciples. I'm not saying blood family isn't important. I'm just saying this is as or more important even. I hope that your family is here with you. I hope that, that celebrating Christ is something you do together with your family. But all of that, is just a means of receiving more of God's grace. And that must be first on our minds, that for the glory of God and the good of our own souls, we show up on Sunday mornings. We go to home groups. We join Celebrate Recovery. We get involved in our student ministry. We're helping with kids' ministry. We want to make sure our kids are in those things, that they're growing up around other believers and they're supporting one another. And that in doing so, they're seeing us do it also. I'm not saying you need to be here every Sunday because I'm not going to be here every Sunday. Right? Take vacation. Do your thing. But let's be wise. Let's walk as those who are wise, not as unwise, because the days are evil. Let's ask the Lord to give us wisdom. God, is this a, is this a good time for me to miss church? Is this good and right for my family, or am I, am I sending a message that I shouldn't send? I think that that, is a mess, that that is a conversation between you and the Lord, not me and you and the Lord. That is not for me to tell you. Husbands, fathers, you lead your home. You do what's best. You do what's right. That's not for me to tell you what to do. You want advice? You can ask me. I'd be glad to help. That's for you. The beautiful thing about this is when the church is the church, it makes the greatest impact on the unbelieving world. 
You know what's sad about that? Is when the church is not the church, it also makes the greatest impact on the unbelieving world. David Mathis says this, he says, When fellowship is true, the depth of love for each other is not a symptom. So the fact that we love one another deeply is not just a symptom because we're in true fellowship. He says, and I fully agree because it's the words of Christ, he says it becomes our apologetic. It becomes the way we prove that we're real. Our love for one another. What does Jesus say? He says, they will know you are my followers by the way you love one another. So there's an unbelieving world watching. Whether they know it or not, they care. <laughs> they care about what you do as followers of Christ. But then there's also the good of your own soul at stake here. What's good for you? What's good and right for the message of the gospel? How do I grow? How am I transformed? Guys, I've had the benefit of being involved in a lot of different denominations and bodies of Christ. I thank the Lord for my experience. I, I get to laugh at things that denominations find important that I just think are silly. I get to rejoice and be a part of the things without having to cross a denominational line and freak everybody out, right? It's beautiful being a part of a body like this. This is my favorite church I've ever been a part of in my life. If you're here from another church, your church ain't as good as this one. <laughs> <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but man, this is a special place. And if you're not a part of a body, would you join us? And first and foremost, if you don't know the Lord, would you submit to Him today? Would you give your life to Christ? Don't leave this place without that at least. Amen. It was by their devotion to the teaching to the fellowship. It says at the end there that the Lord added daily to the number of those being saved. So He does all that wonderful work of saving souls. You and I get to sit here and be a part of the work taking place, the discipleship work of that. 